0: Alrighty, Matt, can you hear me? What's up, man? How's it going? Good. Thanks for having Good. me on. Absolutely. So, I, I guess we'll just get started here. Uh, this is Colin Shots on uh, the Colin app with Set with Part Now. Uh, this is episode four. Thanks, folks, for joining me and joining us for previous. Uh, as we've been doing, if you've got sort of questions for me or Matt as we're going along, uh, just kind of raise your hand bringing up on stage. Uh, we are going to start by talking about, I guess, the teams involved in the CAM trade, and then bounce around a bunch from there. But first, um, though you kind of need no introduction, Matt, why don't you tell the people about yourself?
1: Uh, my name is Matt Moore. I'm the senior NBA writer for the Action Network. Uh, I'm also the co-host of a podcast about Locked On Nuggets here in Denver, and I'm a once-a-week contributor to Locked On NBA as well i uh, been covering the NBA since 2007. Have known Seth a uh, too long, some may say, and uh, excited to be on with him to talk with him.
0: We're going to try to avoid arguing about Rudy Gobert for once, but uh, who knows? Who knows if we'll get there? No promises. Um, so let's let's start. I think I think the Cam Reddish trade is an interesting place to start, just because it's kind of a trade between two teams that have. Uh, underwhelmed uh, preseason expectations. Uh, Is is that fair to say? (laughs) I mean, I saw a crazy stat by a friend of the program, Brad Rowland, yesterday, that uh, Atlanta hasn't won a home game since November and some of that schedule weirdness, but that's still just a staggering stat for a team that you know had some expectations coming into the season.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, they were one of my bigger overbats for the season. I thought they were going to make this, not a leap, like what I, I based it off of basically when you have this dynamic superstar point guard or just wing superstar player and you make this jump into the playoffs, what does the next season look like? And what it basically looked like was you're not quite as good as the year before, but you're still good enough to make the playoffs and so you still typically tend to hit your over. And instead, the Hawks are just like completely melted down and deconstructed like the. The idea they validated anyone that thought that their end of the season run last year was a fluke. Um, I will also say, you know, Schlint talked today, Travis Schlint talked with the media today and said that Reddish had come to him in the preseason and asked for a trade he wanted, he wanted out of Atlanta. And, and there's a number of, re- of good reasons for Reddish's career that he would want that. But what I think is notable is you have that, plus you have John Collins' kind of repeated comments about being unhappy with various things and it just kind of leads back to create this idea that uh, a team that is so centrally built around Trey Young seems to have created an atmosphere where no one's really happy on the team and I think that that broader conversation is interesting and it's important because of a number of things about how we value the Hawks and their players and and where that team is at
0: yeah I mean I think we did see a little bit last year that uh um winning kind of has a way of of curing these things. I think there were some rumblings, maybe even more than rumblings about people not loving everything in Atlanta before they made the coaching change last year and then they make the ch- the coaching change and they play great for the second half of the year and they have a you know a, a pretty you know, magical and unexpected playoff run and, and everything is hunky dory, but you know, struggling out of the gate this year and all of a sudden, uh, the, some of the same sort of problems kind of crop up, uh, the defense, the, the sort of how the ball is distributed, um, maybe a few too many mouths to feed, um, when you're losing, those are problems. And I'm not, I'm not actually sure what the middle ground is. Like what if they were playing sort of at reasonable expectations, what the, uh, what the the vibe would be because it seems like they've either been sort of very disappointed or shockingly successful over this last season and a half.
1: Yeah. I think honestly, I think I wonder how much of this is just, it was always going to be bad.
0: Um, Like this um, year or, or just in general,
1: eventually, like even if they'd gotten off to a decent start, like I thought, like because Collins had made the comments last season that were pretty pointed at at Trey young, And then to follow it up this year and just their entire vibe being so underwhelming. And again, I don't necessarily, I can't, when I watch Young, I can't like recognize a thing in in play style that's necessarily all that terrible. The usage rate's high, but it's not Harden esque. I think they've actually, I I looked last year and I I haven't looked at numbers this year, but his usage actually went down when McMillan took over and they increased Bogey's role a little bit. So I, I don't know whether it's just they have too many guys that all think that they're good or if there's just, like, a locker room thing or or whatever it is, you know, and maybe, look, honestly, it could be, you know, Collins might be some of the source of this, right? Just that Collins is unhappy and wants to be in a bigger spot. He took the extension smartly. The spot is the summer cashing in, but that does feel like kind of how it worked was they won, so everyone was like, oh, yeah, this works. Like, we won, so it works. And then now that you're here and you're not winning, it's like, oh, no, all the things that we thought were a problem have continued. There there were so many teams that were involved in talks with the Hawks. Like, I was surprised when Collins was there after the deadline. You know, Dallas, I know, was one team that had really kicked the tires on that deal. Um, I know New York was involved. They had gotten so many calls and had taken so many calls on Collins. And now, you know, my understanding is that those things are all back on the table, that Collins and Bogdanovich in, in recent days even have been part of conversations with teams Discussing trade options, nothing's advanced, but the, the, it does seem like just you know we're six months, we're, we're less than a year, what, eight months away from them making the Eastern Conference Finals and having a real shot to go to the finals. Considering Giannis's injury, and instead here we are, and they're kind of deconstructing. I, I don't know what's more surprising: the run that they were on last year, or how quickly that run has turned rotten so severely
0: so one thing to note i mean you you talked about trey's usage rate i don't think i think if you look a little deeper um they're basically the only player in the league who has the ball in his hands a comparable amount is and this is funny because anytime you look at stuff like this uh it's it's maybe not the comparison everyone wants to hear but there it is it's luca luca's the only player in the league who (laughs) you know year in year out these two guys have the ball the most and that's probably a, that's that's a, that's a hard system to fit in. I mean, I think we've seen it over the years with uh, prior to this year, at least the the way that uh, playing with Russ or LeBron, for another matter, like warps how teammate how, how how teams play how how players play.
1: So uh, to that point, can I ask you something? because yeah. I think it's, I think it's interesting. The Mavericks seem happier this year. They, like they do, they seem happier. I don't think they're as good. And their record would say that they're not as good. And their advanced metrics would say they're not nearly
0: as good. I would say, I would my, my, my guess is that's like, I, I think this is based on no reporting or, sure. or knowledge or anything like that. I think it's just Porzingis is playing better, so he's happier. So that's like, I think that was, that was seemed like maybe a little bit of a storm cloud over the team. But also, all of last year,
1: you know, I think part of this is as much as Luca has had the ball, he's been out a little bit. And like, guys are in different roles. Even if Luca's still dominating the ball as much, it doesn't feel as much, at least watching them, like heliocentric. Hey, uh, Luca's going to run a high pick and roll, and then you guys are going are gonna to spot up. And again, like, the offense has been bad, but they seem happier. <laughs> like, that, man, I, I'm just kind of curious if there's something to the idea. And similar with the Hawks, of maybe the the most effective tactic available uh, isn't the one that instills the kind of chemistry that you need to keep all the mouths fed.
0: Yeah, and I also, I mean, I, have we seen kind of the instances of of Luca no-efforting on defense yes. with quite the frequency, which with which we see that with Trey so far this year. Right, he's been he's been better on that end for sure. Yeah, and I mean, I think. The other thing, this is this is sort of why I was skeptical on the Hawks this year, is I think we see this sort of all the time when a team sort of, whether by fortune or something else, takes kind of a an gets an a, has some unexpected success, they sort of don't know how to handle it and and forget that you know you start the next season you know at score zero zero. Uh, record of zero and zero I mean i you can go back to the the year the suns won forty eight games and it's like oh we're we're and you know their underlying stuff was maybe a little questionable, but they thought they were there, and then they kind of went for it, even though their their plan prior to having that success was to go slower about it and and they kind of got in their own way, and that's sort of the other end of the spectrum, but I mean, yeah, the Hawks made the conference finals last year, but uh they got a fortunate first round draw a good matchup in the first round i think that's safe to say and then uh you know philly did some philly things and kind of imploded against them and uh so there you are in the in the conference finals but i don't like i does anyone think that they were even though they got further they weren't a better team than brooklyn last year they weren't a better team than brooklyn coming into this year certainly like so it and, and early in the year, I mean, even Trey gave comments about you know being bored by the regular season, and that was sort of a a huge red flag to me about like a team sort of not you know being in on sort of the process that's necessary. And like you know, process is obviously a loaded word now, but <laughs> but no, but not being in like with the journey part of yeah. that. Like, oh well, we're we're going to get back to the conference finals again, and it's like, well, no, you kind of have to you have to do that part over again also and you have to relish doing the things to get there and it seemed like they were they they, that like early prosperity kind of almost tripped them up a little bit not to not to psychoanalyze but i I will anyway well i think (laughs) well
1: i think what's interesting there is because again what i looked at from i looked at from the perspective of okay um what happens what happened the year after cp3 takes the hornet's to the second round. What happened the year after Derek Rose takes the Bulls to the Eastern Conference Finals? Um, all these types of cases. But I think something that's kind of a, a twist on that is that the hawks didn't just make the leap into the playoffs and then get knocked out in the first round and they didn't just make it into the playoffs and then win a nice second round or first round series versus a you know a weaker opponent and then learn their lesson in the second round versus the sixers they made it all the way to the eastern conference finals and the doorstep of the finals and i do wonder if maybe like there is a difference there because you look at the grizzlies made this big leap 2 years ago based off of how good Ja is and, and the rest of their drafting. And then I was like, okay, but they're a young team. They'll probably regress. And then they were actually like a little bit better. And they made the first round of the playoffs. And then they got waxed by Utah as is like the natural progression of things. It's like, you're supposed to like make them. And even the bulls are maybe your example of this, where they made the playoffs versus LeBron and then they got better. And that's when they made the leap versus the Hawks just like leapt all the way to a conference finals appearance. And even though that's only two rounds, I do kind of wonder if that instilled that sense of complacency and like, well, we're going to be there. Like we're, we're definitely going to be there in the, in the end because you didn't have to, to face like, Oh wow. We are like a ways away from this team.
0: Yeah. Uh, I, well, and, and, and frankly, you keep, I mean, the, you say that if they had made the NBA finals last year, that would have been fluky too. Yes. Like a hundred percent. You know, best player. On, you know, like the best player on the other team gets the best player remaining in the playoffs. Probably get you know, blows their knee out, and you yada yada yada. Like that's that that's you know. So it would have been how the been Raptors a, won a title. Oh, sorry, I'm just, <laughs> just I I don't I, okay. <laughs> Um, the Raptors were really good that year and uh, <laughs> yes, rub, rub it in a little bit, please. No, but I'm, I'm actually glad you brought that up because I think that's, that was like a, I mean, I, I can say from experience this on the inside, like when, when in my season with the bucks, we like lost in the first rounds uh, kind of uh, competitively, but decisively lost in the seventh game in round one and then made the conference finals. And it was like getting to the conference finals against a team as seasoned as the Raptors, and and knowing some folks over there like oh this is a different thing and they are more used to it than we are yeah and sort of the hawks kind of skipped those steps um and and kind of uh didn't realize it and so weren't kind of weren't maybe necessarily ready for it this year i mean it's 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 easy to say now in retrospect but it was something i was worried about at the time and you know I was accused of, of, uh, of raining on parades and that's fair enough. But because uh, timing is everything, I'd, it probably wasn't the best thing to start talking about like four minutes after they got eliminated from the playoffs. in <laughs> right. those terms. But you yeah, know, was, yeah well, that's we, we always is, think ahead.
1: Well, that's what's funny. It, you know, my, my inclination in those situations is always, cause, you know, from a betting perspective is to go into it and say, well, okay, like obviously they overperformed. So we need to, to target them as being ripe for regression. And, Honestly, I feel a little bit better that they've absolutely just plummeted into despair because that the level to it'd be one thing if they were just like, uh, they're hovering around 500 and they can't really get it together. But like, they're genuinely bad. Like they are just, they can't get wins against anyone. And that, that to me is a little bit of a, um, let me put it this way. I don't think that that's more of a red flag than their overperformance in the playoffs last year. But I'm also not sure that given the talent on this team, that they are as bad as that record indicates. Like there's some sort of force that's pulling them (laughs) downward constantly. And, but then again, maybe you could say the same thing about the Kings and the Kings are the Kings. Yeah. So
0: So let's actually, that's a, that's a pretty good segue into the Reddish trade because uh, when you talk about the, you know, you talk about the talent on this team, um, is it possible that we've just missed, this is a very leading question and very, uh, (laughs) <laughs> a very motivated question, but is it possible we've misjudged the talent on this team? Uh, uh, I think perhaps overestimated the the, the top to bottom talent. On, I
1: think uh, on John this team. Collins is great. I think John Collins is a player that can help like almost every single franchise. Like There's just very few franchises that I would say that there's not a role for Collins on in some capacity. And he's just... I love his combination of shooting. I love the spirit that he brings. Like, he, in the playoffs, when there were times when it wasn't on him to score, so he was going out there and rebounding. He makes defensive mistakes. But my my issue with that kind of is, like, he's so young. The effort level is so high. Like, he wants to be good. And I think in time he gets there, I think DeAndre Hunter is a stud. And the numbers kind of bear out that when Hunter plays, that's a much, much better team. Like, he shouldn't be so essential as to drag them from – above 500 to this pit of misery right there's clearly a bigger problems but when we looked at last year um again this is one of the things that i like about the betting size it teaches you these kind of trends it was literally like they were above 500 ats team when deandre hunter would play and they were a significantly below 500 team when deandre hunter was out so you would just basically look at this at the injury report is deandre hunter playing no okay Take the other side. Is the Hunter playing? Yes. Are they dogs? Yes. Okay, you should take the Hawks. Um, I think those guys are really good. To me, one of the biggest things is Capella's regression defensively from three years ago. There were a lot of signs last year. Like, there were signs in Houston. That's one of the reasons they traded him. It was like they were just indicators that, hey, uh, Capella's not the guy that he he once was. And then last year, there were a lot of signs that he wasn't that guy either but now it's just like i don't know what he does for them he's not this big and i think some of that has to do with how physical the league is this year with some of the rule changes like to me the league feels more it's a that's an anecdotal not data-driven thing but the league feels very physical this season it's one of the reasons i think the mavericks are better defensively is like their bigs are playing very physical um you know Kleba and uh powell in particular i think have done a really great job of being physical inside and so I think Capella's more skill-based technique, verticality, those kind of things, I think, have hurt them on the defensive end because the offense has still been fine. They just can't get any stops to save their life. And when you look at that roster, that was my concern last year. And then they put it together for that stretch with McMillan. And so now I, I don't know what, what that kind of says. I'm not sure that the talent is bad. I just – you may be right that the talent isn't as good, but I still I, – I mean, look, I still look at Trey's production – and it's just that's a lot of production to try and dog. Even if there's still a lot about his game that doesn't make them as good as they should be.
0: So it's really interesting you, you mentioned the physicality. I'm wondering if some of the defense is okay. Last year with the with the you know the the touch foul rules kind of and the ease at which you could draw fouls coming off of screens and stuff like that, nobody could guard the point of attack. So the fact that the Hawks couldn't guard anybody at the point of attack. Except for Hunter, didn't matter. And now right. that you can, it, like it, now that it is possible to do so without getting fouls called, and the fact that the Hawks still can't at all uh, is maybe just more of a differentiator. Like, <sighs> well,
1: it, it, it interesting? It, it, it hurt
0: their defense, but it hurt everybody's defense last year.
1: Yeah, well, well, here's what's kind of interesting. It it really did for the last couple of years you didn't have to be good physically and you definitely didn't have to be good at the point of attack because no one was good at the point of attack. Like you mentioned, like a good comparison for this honestly might be Portland. You can look at Portland and go like, well, Dame's been out and CJ had a collapse long and, and you know, now Powell's out. And I get that, but Portland's been a bad defensive team year after year after year. And even when they were healthy, this team was losing games. Like I do kind of wonder now, If you're one of those, if you, I don't think, I think you have to have a better balance this year than in other years, even as we've seen the offenses regress so much over the last, you know, month and a half, as you rightfully were saying back when we started off with unders hitting at 80% clip, you're like, it's going to regress. It's fine. Um, There's been some regression there, but at the same time, it does feel like if you have no defensive balance, unless you're the nets and they had good defensive luck for the first couple months of the season, Unless you're uh, let's put to put it mildly, by the way. Yeah. It, if you're not a balanced team, I'm not sure that you can that you can win games right now. Like most of the teams are usually elite in one of the two areas and good in the other. Even if we don't have as many like this. Is the other thing is, is we had a bunch of years where it was there was like five teams that were all top five in both categories. And then there was a number of teams that were top five in offense and then whatever in defense and then the kind of the middle ground. And this year it's been, you know, you need to be top 10, top 12 in both categories. But I do think some of this leads into I, I just wonder if if you're not a physical team and you're not able to play defense, I think it is harder than it has been in recent years to just be like eh, our offense is going to get us to 50. I just don't think maybe that's true this season for whatever reason.
0: Especially, I mean, I think especially with a team that that is so, that kind of at least this year it doesn't has not had a lot of uh, dynamism on offense. Yeah. outside of outside of Trey. Yeah. So it's it's you know the the uh, like the bar that's like I you know you, I think we even see it with the Lakers a little bit now. And I think LeBron is as is it too is it too harsh to say LeBron is taking a step taking a slight step back this year? I don't think it is. But even like someone. Like, LeBron can't will a team to, you know, offensive competence and win by himself. Now, it's asking a lot of a guy in his late 30s. But I think all over the league, we're seeing spots, you know, in Boston where, you know, oh, well, Tatum and Brown should be good, and they're not. So um, so I think that that's um, maybe illustrative of, of sort of what you're saying of needing not just the better balance between offense and defense, but maybe even if it's not a usage balance but a uh, some kind of a balanced load on offense that seems like that's sort of more important now than it maybe has been. I'm though I'm'm I'm, I could be completely wrong on that maybe that's that sort of wish cast. I mean the basketball all, I would like to see
1: all of their offense uh, offensive numbers are still good and good enough. I think there's something to be said for what kind of sp- <laughs> this is a very again this is as far away from data as you can get but like what kind of spirit does your offense instill? right? Because the Suns are very measured and very professional, but those guys tend to like the way that they play together. It is pretty egalitarian. Everybody does get to eat. Um, They also win
0: every night. So it's it's a little little chicken and egg, but yeah.
1: Right. And, and to that point, like the, the, the Suns offense hasn't been elite this year. It's one of the reasons they don't project as well out in some of the advanced metrics or against the spread. Um, But the Hawks on the other hand are just, you know, they, they just absolutely get killed defensively like they just cannot get any sort of stops and you know some of this is i i don't have the numbers in front of me on there um i'm sure you've looked at it in terms of how they're doing in qsi qsm for defensive expectation but i would imagine it feels pretty bad just they don't give enough resistance and that i do th- feel like um there's just been I I've in the times I've watched them this season, there's been a definite sense of everyone is to get, kind of get kinda trying to get theirs. But there's a in the in the playoffs it was interesting because they were so it did feel like they were like, We're gonna hit you with all these weapons and we've got you on the edge and we're the hunters and no one you know, we're obviously no one us, et cetera, et cetera. And this year it, it definitely when watching It's like, okay, now Bogey's going to do some stuff. All right, now Trey's going to take some time, and he's going to jack up this three, and they're going to wonder why, and everyone's going to look at him like, why did you take that shot? And, you know, okay, Collins gets a post up here, and it doesn't feel there's no cohesion. It doesn't feel like there's a lot of great ball movement, even though the offense has been good. Again, this is what's kind of interesting is, is, okay, if the offense was better, would they be better? Maybe a little bit, but it wouldn't solve the fact that, they still are just so limited on defense and, and to that, and on that front, like, I don't know how you solve it. I don't know what you do with that roster right. to make that defense good.
0: Right. I mean, it's sort of the, the ephemeral thing we're talking about is if the offense was a little, a little more cohesive, then maybe the defense has a little more energy. Yeah. Um, which Absolutely. Is, you know, that's sort of one of those non-testable things that we would certainly like to be true. Um, but I think there's probably some truth to it, but it's also a, a lot of it is sort of a talent issue. So, I tried to segue us to the trade into the Knicks a little bit before, but let's do that explicitly now because um, you know, again, I think to me, I think that reddish is in many ways like uh, uh, emblematic of the sort of overvaluing of of Atlanta's talents and sort of some of the reaction to the Knicks uh, acquiring him has been has been uh, of a piece with that. um like i will let me be like let me be clear. I think it's a good trade for New York. I think they, they didn't give up much for, you know, a player with good size and shooting talent and pretty decent defensive uh, um, potential. And occasionally well not occasionally, but, but, but certainly at times has been a pretty good defensive player what has just been super over the top is sort of the gushing about the acquisition of a likely future all-star. And I th- <laughs> I think that's, that's reacting to a player we have literally never seen since he was in high school. So, um, uh, so, and, and I think that that's, you know, when, when the Hawks get, have been talked about as being so talented, it feels like that's a big part of it. Well,
1: this is what I think is tough is I know how viscerally you reacted yesterday to the tweet that talked about, You know, if he just doesn't take twos, then this is what he projects at as a shooter. If he was
0: better, he would be better. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I understand why you kind of said that. What's interesting for me is instead of, like, the all-star conversation about Reddish, for me, it's like, okay, he's at – to me, he's at a a crossroads. And it's – does he – and a lot of young players get here where they have to decide, okay, am I going to have a role and stick in this league for 12 years and be a part of winning teams? Or am I going to pursue what I think is best for my quote-unquote brand or my you know career future earnings because I genuinely think I'm, I'm that good? I'm so confident. Um, and it, to I don't mean to put everything through a Nuggets prism because there's a team I, I cover the most. But it kind of is the Aaron Gordon versus Jeremy Grant question where you know Jeremy Grant basically said, no, I don't want to be a role player. Nope. Uh, I want to be a superstar. Uh, I'm going to go be a star. And Aaron Gordon went the other way and went, you know what? I, I really hate losing and I'm totally fine if I'm scoring t- you know, 13 points a night and not shooting that much because we're actually playing good basketball, which I never expected Aaron Gordon to do. But like those guys were older in their careers when they had to make that choice. And Reddish, I think, has to make that He's at one crossroads. He'll probably have another. I think if he converts to a 3 and D guy, Seth, I, I think he can be good. I think he can be helpful. I liked a lot of what I saw from his defense last year. He wasn't as good as Hunter. But he would have stretches where I would watch him and go, that was really good containment. Okay, he really did kind of, you know, he had good instincts on that play. When He's he's a young guy, but when he's locked in, I can see like the tools and the intelligence kind of come together, and he looks like a really good defensive player. And the the three-point numbers, and this kind of carries over from college, do kind of reflect a guy that can hit shots. So I don't think – I think 3 and D has kind of evolved, right? The league is a lot more ball movement oriented, I think, now than it used to be. There's fewer pure role players. But there are still a lot of teams where they just need those guys. Like, hey, we just need a wing that can defend and hit a three. And I think if Reddish were to commit to that, he could be really good. But if the idea is, like, he's going to be unlocked and become a three-level scorer – I can't see that. It doesn't mean it can't happen. Like this is part of what I talk.
0: Well, there's. I mean, what? there's. There, there's been. Again, I don't like. I don't want to feel like I'm hammering on this, but there's been basically from his from his year at Duke through his years in in, in the pros. There's been basically no evidence on the court that he that that he is going to that he's that likely guy. to develop into that guy. Well, yeah, and and, it, 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 and and that was and and funnily enough, like the the divergence between sort of his. I guess I'll say statistical profile as a prospect and how he was discussed. Like the player you're describing, he should be like, that was kind of his, like can make a shot and has some really good defensive peripherals that if that was what he was going to do, he'd be a pretty good player. Um, but because it's, you know, the, it's sort of the, uh, the prospect hype cycle, like he he's maybe the epitome of that right now where he was going to be this one thing. And, you know, you look at, like Lonzo Ball who is who has sort of almost naturally transitioned into this other role and has been like great this year like you know has been one of the the real success stories in the league I think in Chicago and it's um you know who knows about accepting roles or whatever but just has has fit in to not having to be the yeah I'm going to have the ball in my hands and and be the man but I'm going to guard and make shots and and make good basketball plays it gets partly into uh, a
1: couple of years back. I don't know if you know this. I had a, a Twitter conversation with an NBA all-star, and we were arguing back and forth about the mid-range I've, stuff.
0: Yeah, I, were, were there charts involved? <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, he declined my invitation polite, to – He
0: politely declined to, to – He politely declined my yeah.
1: invitation to consider visual evidence. Um, but what he was talking about was, look, if you have to take these shots in game so that you can develop these things that are going to get you to that next level. And I have thought a lot about that. What's interesting is it was there were two players we were talking about, which are Zach Levine and Wiggins in that context. And in both contexts, both players started shooting more threes and both players became a lot better. Now, Levine got a lot better at mid-range, too. Like That's a good example of a player that. Like did commit himself, and he just got better everywhere, like Zach's playing with like some of the best yeah. offensive balance, i think and feel in the game right
0: now and to be and to be fair to Levine like by his third year in the league he was a he was a a pretty like he was a an acceptable pull-up shooter yeah like he so he was like you could see that year-on-year progression yeah of like okay as a rookie he was but he was like he was you know 19 and had barely played at UCLA so he wasn't great and then but by his third year his last year in Minnesota he was he was you know it was certainly the trend was good for that yeah. improvement whereas with Wiggins it was like the ball in hands creation was basically never
1: good and Chicago overall, I think it's a good evidence of this kind of proof of concept of we're not going to take a lot of threes, but when we take them, we're going to make them all. And it's kind of the opposite with Levine, where he takes like he doesn't take uh, all that many mid range shots, but when he does, he makes them at a really high rate. And that like that's the whole thing, right? And that's part of the the whole the whole thing. Um, with Reddish, I think it'll be interesting to see what what Tibbs wants to do with him, just to figure out. Um, I mean, for you're right that for New York, there's nothing but upside. It's They get off of Knox, who was such a disappointment um, for everyone that believed in him, myself included. And maybe he gets a fresh start and he does better. But they get off Knox and they bring in another guy with a, a slightly better profile <clears throat> that can provide, you know, they need better defense and they need. Uh, they've tried to, to be a really three-point oriented team. So he could fit really well. It's just been interesting to hear. I agree with you. It's been interesting to hear the discussion of this hype cycle of, of yeah. based off of, I mean, look, <laughs> that, that hype cycle lasts so long is what's interesting. These guys, yeah, so if, they get a hype, if they get a hype from high school, I mean, this is the whole bowl thing is that there's still like this whole, like all, all bowl needs is an opportunity. And I'm like, look, guys, I've, I've been covering the team that has him that wants him that needs him to succeed for four years. And I'm telling you, there are reasons that he does not succeed that have nothing to do with Michael Malone's whims.
0: Well, and it's not, and, and you know, with the amount of injuries the Nuggets have had over the over the last couple of years, it's not like there's been a lot of guys. Like we we marvel at how deep Denver managed to make their roster every year, so guys get chances. It's just like Zeke Nagy takes advantage of them, and and other people, you know, haven't haven't shown themselves that that's that's like what should happen. That's who should be on the floor. So that's. Like I, I like the, the notion that that like the nuggets are not a place where someone can can get a chance if they show potential is is kind of it's not uh, it's not, you know, the the D'Antoni sons where it's like they play six and a half and and, yeah. and, and too bad. And who, who knows what the next guy has? Uh, that's not that's not the case at all.
1: Yeah, they've had lots of opportunities. And I think with uh, I think with Atlanta, like they've, they gave Reddish I thought, a lot of opportunities. Now, again, I kind of get back to why did he want out? Like, well, was it about the about that situation that made him? Th- now, made it may have been life stuff, right? Maybe been like I just don't like the city, or you know, whatever else. But I think it's an, in- or an they, interesting. Or they, I mean,
0: or they paid. You know, they paid Herder, and, and yeah. So it's like you kind of look and say, well, okay, they've paid this guy, and how am I going to get my chance? And I mean, that's that's maybe just the business aspect of it, mm-hmm. as well as the the sort of the basketball aspects. But yeah.
1: So I don't know. I think um, I think reddish. I think probably the most projected path is that Reddish winds up, you know, eventually just settling in and by like year eight, it's like, you know, who's been really solid this year is like Cam Reddish.
0: Like Cam Reddish has
1: been really good for that team. Once. On, on the
0: sort of the Jeff green cycle, the Jeff, yeah. Thing, the Jeff just Green like, Kyle, Kyle, Kuzma cycle.
1: Yeah. Just like the, you, you wake up one day and you're like, you know, or uh, I'm, it's, um, Oh my God, Marvin, Marvin's a great example. Of this.
0: Oh yeah. 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 That's a, that's a really good, like, like, Oh, what a, what a, what a what a reach. What a bust in the second round pick and then he's like wait, well, he's been in the league for how long and he's been yeah. a good valuable player. Yeah, that's a, that's a good call. Yeah. Um before we bounce to to maybe I mean, I, do you want to talk about the Knicks at all or are they just like depressing? Um I don't I guess my thing is I don't I don't know what to expect from them tonight.
1: You know. That's the thing is is they go. They went on, and there's been more than a few teams like this this season where they go on these really. The Raptors are another team where it's like when they're good, they're they look really good, and you're like that team's pretty good. And then when they look bad, you're like this team sucks. <laughs> like this team is is there is so little talent on this team, and and when the Knicks look bad, they look atrocious. Uh, if they could play the Celtics every night, I think they would be in good shape. Um, sure. That's been, they've, they've had so many signature wins. The defense is kind of stabilized. So that's promising uh, as somebody with an over ticket for them. Cause the number was too low at 40 and a half. I've, I've liked to see the, the, the defense stabilize a little bit. Um, and it's I, Rose going down. I, I do think hurt the floor very badly. The production like, 40 is one of those guys that you just cannot rely on. And so, night to night. Now, I, I love what I've seen from RJ. Like, I, I would be very excited if I was. Oh a boy! Man.
0: Like. <laughs> oh, so so there's one for us to fight about. Uh, no, right. I'm kidding. No, it's we don't have to fight about it. It's just you know, it's it's the kind of thing where you know, you, I, I tend to hear about it whenever he puts two good games together. Oh yeah, for um, sure. But um, so I wanted to to rather than dwell on next, I did I did want to kind of bounce off. It, it's funny that you you recall having that conversation with with Kevin Durant because I I was I was on uh, uh, Eddie Johnson's radio show uh, I don't know about a month ago and we kind of had that 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 same sort of conversation deal like regarding Mikhail Bridges and it's it, it is it is a it is a really interesting question because it's sort of like there's sort of a what's good to win now what's better long run either for the player or for the team and that's not a that's not a it's not an easy one to answer like you know as of right now should mikhail bridges take many pull up twos probably not now i would say the difference between bridges and reddish is has is has bridges shown enough has he kind of earned the right to get to try those i think so and so i think it's i think we have seen him do it a little bit more this year and maybe, maybe it'll work. It probably won't just because it's, it, it's, it's a hard skill that, you know, is, is pretty rare. Um, but you kind of got, have to reach a certain level to almost um, get to try that for, for, for good teams, right? And I think that's, that's sort of, yeah, like you force feed them opportunities, but like don't you have to kind of be like baseline competent before you try to, you know, do star stuff? I don't know. Is that, is that unfair? I, I think it's an excellent
1: example of how teams are always trying, they're always operating on more levels than we think about. Cause we always just think about it in the, in the context of how do you win games this season? So you can get a good playoff spot so you can go to the playoffs and win a title like that's, or go as far as you can. Like what's the decisions that are made by the front office of, it's like, well, you know, we're looking at the cap two years down the line or we're looking at we're expecting a a jump in the cap two years down the line, so we're gonna do this or we have to make room for this or uh, we have to make an agent happy or these type of things that have multiple levels. and it's you know in a, in a season, you've got everybody trying uh, supposedly to be on the same page and accomplish the same goals. But within that, you have all these individuals who are independent contractors trying to accomplish their own goals. And the questions are, you know, uh, Reddish making a leap or whoever making a leap, Mikhail, into being a valuable three-level scorer is good for the team. It's not like having less, you know, having more three-level scorers is not bad for a team. And so it's like, okay, there's value to, for you to do this and there's value for us for you to work on this. My question is always just like, how often do you bust that out in a game but then the response is, you're never going to be able to develop it unless it's in a real game environment. You can take a million practice shots. That's why the, right. the bigs are always shooting threes, like you in, in shootarounds. Like you have you have to do these things in game. There's nothing that replicates it. Uh, and I think that that's a tough counter to try and figure out. You don't want to take things away from players. I think that's a lot of it is is especially the best players, the most talented guys. And I, I will say this, in my experience, and, and you can speak to this better, in my experience, organizations very rarely want to take things away from guys. They want guys to feel empowered and supported and, and because it helps
0: retain them. I think, so I think that's actually – that's, a, that's a sort of a, a, a friction point between uh, sort of upstairs and downstairs. Yeah, uh, And, you know, in in, in uh, most facilities, the, the, like the coaches and players are, are floor level to, to court and uh, the front office is upstairs. And it's like, you know, the front office wants to think longer range and develop and, and, and all that. And the coach wants to win tomorrow night. And some of that's, I mean, some of that's natural. Um, uh, But, I mean, to a large degree, it's natural because, you know, what are you being judged on? Um, You know, you're being judged across multiple seasons as a front office and you're being judged at times, if things get ugly, you're being judged like quarter to quarter as a coach. So I can kind of, you you can kind of see where that, that the impetus is there, but um, uh, yeah. And, and, you know, some coaches are, are, are certainly better than others about uh, giving sort of freedom. And I don't think, and, and I don't think freedom is always good for every player. I mean, I think there's been players who, for example, have struggled in Golden State because they have too much freedom there's two there's not enough uh you know the the their they the their offensive concept is so advanced because there's so little structure kelly that... kelly's a great example yeah. of this mm-hmm. the know, difference like kelly... why why auto porter is so much better there than Ubre was
1: yeah and like ubrey's been great for the hornets like he's been great and he was good with the suns like kelly ubrey's not a bad player and it doesn't make him you know just because and I, I i think this is always a a big key of the difference in in basketball iq um, versus, you know, intelligence. It's not necessarily just like this one, and neither is intelligence, but it's not like a zero to 100 scale. There's, it, it's three-dimensional. And just because it didn't work for Ubrey for a lot of reasons, last year was really messed up. Like that doesn't mean that Ubrey is a useless player that can't do anything for you. Um, But here's like an interesting comparison here, okay, is so I just looked this up on on synergy cam minimum 100 pull ups is the least effective shooter in the league. Um, Among the 100 pull ups, he has a 34.8 EFG, right? But LaMelo is at 37.6. He is the fourth worst. And you would not you would not say, hey, LaMelo ball should not be. Taking pull-up shots, he shouldn't be taking pull-up jumpers. Pull-up jumpers.
0: I, w- I would say that the difference there is sort of. I've liked to describe like floaters and pull-ups as sort of as sort of a bluff. Like mm-hmm. like Lamelo is is able to play make off of that just at a massively higher level. So yeah, he see maybe some some bad shots go up, and frankly, frankly, probably ends up with the grenade a few a, a little more often than Reddish does too. So, but I think that that just like he's, he's sort of buying good things on so many other possessions right. from those shots. Whereas things, those are just, those are just possessions that kind of die on the vine. When, and guys when always want to work
1: on guys, always want to buy those possessions to shoot though. That's what's always a bummer is it's like, look, if you want to handle the ball, work on being able to make a read out of the pick and roll. Right. Like just work on being able to make the basic read out of the pick and roll, because a lot of times you'll have more gravity than you should. You know, it's the Marcus right. Smart principle that if, if you come off that pick, they're still like, oh, I better guard this, even if you're a, not a good shooter from that range.
0: No, and I think and I think that's that's exactly it with Mello is like he, he like just the, the the notion that he might take a tough shot does that does that like the 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 extra sort of attention that a guy takes maybe you know a half step more towards him than they otherwise might combined with you know the fact that he's one of the top pick a number of passers in the league means that those shot. that's what I mean by those shots, buying him though. Those shots are buying, you know, you know, corner threes for Ubre or, or kickouts for, for miles, for miles bridges to attack a closeout and so on.
1: Yeah. And so the, that whole question I think is, is fascinating of, yeah. players are always trying to work on stuff and advance their game. Cause they want to be, you know, cause they'll get some paid more. Right. But, it's, it seems like it's always just built especially with these guys that are our wings it's just like oh but i want to be able to to shake to dribble shake pull up
0: and <sighs> so let's so let's let's almost counterpoint that to a to a, a team where one of their big success stories has been a guy who has expanded his offensive game but it hasn't really gotten it's not really that it's been complex it's just like doing kind of simple things well over and over again. I think that's the Grizz and Desmond Bain, yeah. who has done a lot more with the ball in his hands this year, but it's been much more in sort of the kind of the, the Malcolm Brogdon-ish one move and straight line, fast and hard versus, you know, uh, over elaborate kind of getting in the bag. Yeah. Um, and that's just a uh, segue again to I think obviously right now one of the kind of the, 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 the most feel-good stories in, in the league and uh, almost, an, uh, almost a perfect counterpoint to the Hawks, which is the Grizz.
1: What's funny is um, I, I love this story in that – the story of Bain this season. So in Summer League, I'm out there and I notice that the Grizzlies have Bain handling full-time. Like they have him basically running the offense. And I was very surprised at that. I was like, really? And uh, I was one of like four people in the back room, the little curtained off room in summer league media availability, talking to Desmond. And I, I just asked him kind of about that. He, he said, yeah, that's what they said they wanted me to work on, which is work on playmaking, work on on-ball stuff. And I went back and forth a lot of of thinking about whether that was good or not. And ultimately I was like, I guess we'll see. And it, it's an interesting case of, Summer league as a, as a test tube, and I, honestly, I'll tell you something. Like, I didn't think he looked great in it. Like, I thought that he 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 showed some on the dribble stuff, but it wasn't like his stats were. He wasn't dominating, and so I was like, well, if he's not dominating in summer league, but then you see the results of that continued work. Where having the secondary playmaker next to Ja makes everybody's life easier. When it's not heliocentric, hey, let's clear out and let Ja do something, and then we'll all wait and catch and shoot. It's no like we're going to Jaw's going to do something incredible and that's going to make the defense freak out. And then Bane's going to be in a position to catch his defender off guard to dribble pull up and, you know, throw in his shooting ability. And you have this really great, competent player. And it, it's to me, it's like it's, the Grizzlies are such a feel good story in general right now. Like They're the story. The Bulls and the, and the Grizzlies are the stories of the season to me so far because they're the, the surprises
0: is ok am i crazy to think that i mean it's okay it's very easy to say this after the bulls just lost the other night by 73 or whatever to that <laughs> right. and the grizz have won you know haven't lost in in this calendar year and much before that but like the grizz sort of feel more real to me than the bulls do some of the, i think i think some of that is the grizz have done this like despite injuries and the bulls are just fairly obviously pretty top heavy at least as, as presently constructed. But also it just, there's something about the, the I mean, maybe it's that the, 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 the bull style is so like, it, it's so, it's so shouldn't work on paper, but it is. Yeah. Um, and, and the Grizz like, okay, this all makes sense. Okay. Maybe the, each of these guys is a little bit better than I thought they were and Jaws. Great. And this all makes sense.
1: You know what I think it is? I think it's the, that the, the bulls are playing aim small, miss small. Right? Like, their margins are very, very tight. It's, well, they don't shoot a lot of threes, but they shoot them really well. And, okay, uh, their defense has a lot of vulnerabilities in it, but they execute it very tight. Man,
0: they miss Caruso, but anyway. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, um And, okay, they take a lot of mid-rangers, but DeRozan and Levine are really good at them. And so they have, like, this very, they just, they their margins are very small. Versus Memphis, everything is, like, huge hit giant miss when they're bad like the heat games of season people forget about them like they got destroyed by miami early in the season just at home just obliterated and for a while like their numbers were all out of whack and, and you talked about this with with jaws on off that their numbers were i've referred to it as like they just got nuked like a lot of their their key guys and then like the bench was really bad and it stabilized and this is the thing. I think the thing with the Grizzlies is their swings are, are massive. Um, I would also argue with you a little bit. I would debate the point of uh, that the Grizzlies are more real entirely because they're now nineteen and eight versus teams over five hundred, and that's just not sustainable. So, so maybe not that real, but <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah, like But, not, so, but it, it does. It, it, I mean, I guess it feels like um, you know it of these two teams, it feels like we're more likely to be having the Hawks conversation that we just had earlier about the bulls
1: a year the- from now. I absolutely think so. Cause I think that that their margins, <clears throat> if everything doesn't click together and like next year, it's like, Oh, that's right. Vucevic is a complete liability uh, in when he's on soft, when he's dropping in defense and teams like Levine and Derozan are banged up from a long playoff run and they can't get over screens as well. Cause like I just spent an hour, just doing nothing but watching specifically Vucevic with DeRozan and Levine in pick and roll and watching, like, how is this working? And it's really working well. Those guys are fighting and getting over screens. But if that margin gets a little wider, if they don't fight as hard over screens, if they have the whole Hawks thing of, like, oh, we'll be there in the end, then that defense falls down, and then the offensive efficiency issues creep up. They're really relying on transition that's the other maybe big warning sign is thereby by <laughs> for a while, they had like the best transition mark in the league by a magnitude. And that's cooled off a little bit, but anytime that a team needs to run un- unless they're the Lakers with LeBron specifically, I get a little nervous. Um, so I think that's maybe the argument. Although I will say like, look, Memphis's defense also is a little suspect. And there are times where uh, there's a lot of things about Memphis where I look at it and I go, okay, you have all this energy and you're chaotic and you have this transcendent superstar and you have all of this talent, but in the playoff series, are you going to be able to contain this to win the high leverage possessions? Or is it going to be a little lunatic crazy? Cause that's one of the things that really bit them versus the jazz. They got way out of
0: control. Is this, is this, is this the part where we have the Jaron Jackson conversation? Cause that feels sure. like the, that feels like the Jaron Jackson conversation.
1: Yeah. What do what, well? What, what's your Jaren Jackson? Thought? I
0: mean, well, I mean, he, you know, he's been. Uh, he, I think, he's always been a player for whom the idea and the actuality have diverged a little bit. Yeah, like it's diverged to the extent that I was probably I was probably too low on Evan Mobley because <laughs> I was because uh, they they profiled somewhat similarly coming in and like and and Mobley kind of doesn't have some of the same problems that that Jackson does in terms of you know fouling and and overall defensive impact being questionable because of the fouling and the lack of rebounding. Um I think he's he's certainly like he's been better this year, but you do like he's gotta show it in a playoff situation. I mean he was I don't want to say he was unplayable, but he was not good against the Jazz last year. No, he was not it's not a not a great matchup for him, but still he was he was not good in that series and like the way playoff basketball is played for as much as Steven Adams has brought them you know, you're he is he more than a twenty minute a game guy in the playoffs? So that, that's all of a sudden it's like, okay, Jaron, like uh is are 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 we ready to go yet? And and the answer is still kind of I don't know.
1: Yeah, I'll I'll say this. The early on I really liked the way that Jackson and Adams looked together, but the numbers were awful. So I was like, Well, I guess I was wrong.
0: I mean that's, I, that's and, you know opponents shot like ninety seven percent like right. so, like they're they're like prior to to Jaw's injury like the, the if there's one team in the league that got like slapped in the face by like the opponent shooting variant stick it was the Grizzlies so there's and, like, there's, there's a lot of stuff that happened like early in the year it's like okay maybe they weren't great defensively but they weren't that not great defensively yeah. like
1: but that th- that trio of Adams Jackson and Morant. Um, you know, they are plus 7.8 with a 105 decent uh, defensive rating. And for me, um, Adams' ability to play two-man game with with jaw helps a lot. That provides a nice counter because Adams' ability to pass from pinch post yep. gives them a different dynamic. Um, the question I think is, look, I'll say this. I think the Jazz are a terrible matchup for them. If they wind up in a, if the Jazz go on a run and get the one seed and the Grizzlies are four, I don't think Memphis gets out of the second round. You, I think,
0: you think the it, Warriors. I, I kind of think it's a better matchup for him this year than it was. I think Memphis is better able to handle that, and I think I actually think that the uh, that the that the having Adams is, is sort of part of why is because of that passing ability. He can yeah. he can move Gobert around in ways that like Valanciunas, who had a good series, but who but he couldn't really move Gobert around the same way.
1: I think defensively, though, if I'm Memphis, I want a team that's going to try and, you know, I, they do well, I think, versus the Warriors because of the chaotic energy. Like, they thrive in that environment. Versus the Jazz are, are mathematics, where they're yeah. just like, if X, then what Like, the Jazz's entire system, I think, will work to get them in rotation. And the Grizzlies are okay in rotation if it's chaotic and frenzy, but not if it's a controlled, deliberate environment.
0: I, I, I do think that the Jazz, if... if... If the games are close, the Jazz, I think, have shown a tendency to uh, get away from their system offensively. So that's, that's, that's part of why. And, and, well, that's you what's know,
1: fascinating. That's why I love this, this. This Jazz season is such an interesting story to me, um, in part because of the, the postgame comments have been so fascinating to watch the divide between players that are like, are we going to go in and we're going to do the same thing, or are we going to learn that we have to try something different? And other quotes that are like, "Are we going to trust the system and, and play the right way, or are we going to do our own thing?" And those two things, like, I, I don't know. I'll just so, say, uh, so
0: this—it's—it's it's, uh, you know—it's usually framed as as like a, a Mitchell versus Gobert thing, but this is all. No. this sounds much more like a Mitchell versus Ingles thing. Almost. Yeah, I think it, I think that's part of it. Like, it might not be those players specifically, but it's certainly like in terms. But of, it's the idea, right?
1: Yeah, of like yeah. the guys on that team that are. I mean, we can just say it. Like, the guys on that team that are Hoopers, I think, are are definitely in that mindset of, like, we get, we can't, we can't, we gotta, we gotta play playoff basketball and, and win the way that I've seen all these other guys go. And then you but have they, like, but,
0: they, but then they have the guys who say, but we, okay, but that's not the players we have. Yeah. So let's, let's yeah. use the players we, let's, yeah. let's, 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 and if like we just, they, and, and, yeah. and
1: it's a great idea of like, is it the design or is it the execution? Because there is a reasonable argument to be had that, like, look, if we just, if we just do what we do and we do it well, we can win this way. We may not win huge. We may have challenges, but we can still do it. And the Bucks, I think, are a great example of that. Of like, the Bucs didn't radically change what they did. You know, they played. The, yes, they played Giannis more. They switched more. Um, they figured out. They did some things to counter. But the Bucks largely, like, still were the same team. They just did what they
0: did better after they had Drew. Yeah and 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 yeah Drew Holiday is just like a lot better than Eric Bledsoe. Yes. So that, that 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 probably helps. Um yeah, um I think you know we're going we're gonna to wrap up in a couple minutes. Uh, just if anyone in the audience has a uh, has has a question, feel free to, to uh to to jump in. But um I kind of guess like, I I want to want to ask like we've been talking about the Grizz. uh you know, I'm a guy who obviously thinks about the NBA in terms of 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 levels and tiers and uh watching Jaw this year like it's sort of been a a sort of constant evaluation is like thinking ahead to next summer where is he going to be like you know he's like people have have put his name in the MVP race and I think that's that's a bit that's a bit premature that's a bit too far but like certainly an all NBA consideration um uh, so what is that like where do we say is he a I don't. Are we going to have be discussing him as a top ten player after this year? That seems wild to me. But like that seems like a depending on how the rest of the season goes, that's like where the ceiling of it is. Is that where do you see that like now, and where do you think it will end up by the end of the season? I think
1: it's too soon for a number of reasons to tell. Um, In part because he was shooting forty percent from three for a while. That's down to thirty six percent. His game is wildly different if he's not hitting threes right? Uh, the, the other thing I would say is I don't think that his, I think he's a player that feels way, way, way bigger than the numbers. He just, he just feels big. These plays that he makes are so spectacular and so incredible. And they feel like they just like demolish the other team where it's a block or a dunk or an acrobatic finish or, you know, an M one, they feel like these gig, just tremendous plays that shift the outcome you but he doesn't have, like, control over the game the way that, like, the top guys do. He doesn't dictate terms, and he doesn't tear apart. If he tears apart defenses, it's with... He's not dissecting them with a scalpel. He's tearing them apart limb from limb. I, and, just,
0: and I think you don't want to make the comparison, but... Uh, the, like, it's, it's... You don't want to make the direct comparison, but, be, you know, with the combination of stature and what you're talking about, it is a little Iversonian. Just sort of that 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 imposition of of kind of like a spectacular thing by a guy who, by rights of his size, has no business doing that. Um, uh, forgive forgive me if I if I pronounce this
2: wrong. Uh, you Yang. Uh, you, hey, hello, uh, guy. You uh, you had something that I want to ask. Uh, yeah, yeah, no. Hey, thank Go thank on. you, thank you for um um. Just uh, I just want to kind of ask you a question. Just uh, maybe a little bit off topic, but NBA related, you know. Um, I was wondering if you guys have any thoughts, uh, you or Matt, about what would be like a a significant rule change you would like to see change? And I'll give you an example, right? Like, you know how in the 50s, they went to the shot clock. That was really important, right? And then the three-point line, I also think really, really important rule change, right? And then, you know, recent years, maybe the hand-checking rules were, you know, important. Um, And there's a lot of talks about maybe changing uh, maybe the three-point line dimensions or uh, some of the other ones like, oh, the Elam ending, what are you guys thoughts about what what kind of rule changes you see, like significant rule changes, so that it it makes it more interesting?
0: Uh, I don't I'm not, I am do not know about like significant rule changes. I think we're I think we're in a pretty good spot, and tinkering is better than significant. uh one that I kind of uh, I don't I don't I kind of don't love the foul out rule. That's that might be one that I would. Um, You know, especially since if if you take a step back and uh, the whole point of this is entertaining and you know what sucks is uh, star players sitting on the bench with foul trouble. Now, partly that's a a strategic thing. Coaches don't sit your best players, don't foul your own guys out, but like it's still something that happens and, um, you know, there's nothing worse than a star player getting taken out of a game by a bogus charge call with two minutes left in a close game. So maybe if that was... Altered somehow, that would be what I'd. I'd be
2: you know, I, I kind of agree with you there, stuff. Uh, but I, I kind of think like that kind of relates to the fact that, like, in, that because because of what you just said there, right? You don't want to see the 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 star players getting like you know like, you know filed out. So so the flip side is that, is that the rest then they don't they t- tend to call less files on the star players like LeBron because they don't want they don't want them to leave the game, right? So of there's a become inequality. So if you yeah. had your rule, then they That's- would call all the files.
0: Yeah, no, I think, and uh, that—that's actually, actually a good point—is that like Le- Le- LeBron might not have the uh, the the cloak of offensive foul invisibility that that occasionally happens in in the postseason for him. Uh, Matt, you got you got anything on that? And uh, thanks thanks for that question, Yang. And we'll bring Nick up in a second after Matt answers.
1: My, I think I've gotten to the point where I'm more wary of unintended consequences. Yes. than
0: ever before. Where yes. that's the big one with like changing like the three point line dimensions yeah. or distance or something yeah. like that
1: and, and like for me it's you know I, I like defense so you know I, I well and one you know I lean I go towards the idea of like the blocks really dan- or the charge is really dangerous and I really think it's like I don't enjoy watching it I don't like yeah. Lowry being rewarded as this amazing defender because he just stands there and puts his big ass in the way and then falls over like it, I don't I don't enjoy that but the like and you pointed this out before Seth like you get rid of that, that charge Giannis is going to the foul line a hundred times. Like he's, there's just nothing you can do. There's no way for you to challenge him. You make him literally unstoppable. And so, well, no,
0: you 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 challenge him by actually challenging him. And yeah. If, if like, you know, you maybe, I mean, that would probably have to be like like accompanied by some change in the verticality rules. Like, mm-hmm. you know, maybe you get a little bit you know you can get a little bit of a body turn or something like something like that to bounce that out 45
1: degrees on your arm yeah. but yeah. you
0: but but you like you know i think that's the like on the charge thing that's the play you you would like to incentivize like challenge plays at the rim not yeah. jump up knee a guy in the shoulder and everyone falls down in a heap yeah and so,
1: like, that's maybe the one that I, I lean towards the most. You know, I had really believed in, like, let's bring back hand checking because of how bad I thought the perimeter defense was. But the changes the league has made, like, this year, I've loved the way the basketball is yeah, being no, played. You're, right you're
0: now. allowed to get your, like, good, like, good defense, like, keep your hands back, get your chest on a guy. You're allowed yeah. to do that this year. Like, that's, yeah. like, Alex Caruso would not be have been allowed to defend the way he, he's, he defended this year in previous years. But, yeah. But that's been a big part of like what made you know before everyone got COVID and everything. What made the Bulls so fun to watch the first year was like him and Lonzo just like really playing like physical in your shorts defense without I, um, using their hands.
1: I definitely do think we should just go to one free throw, two points. That's one that I don't. I I just don't. I don't know what the upside is. Like you still have the pressure of can you make the free throw. Rest is the upside. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> I.
0: Yeah, In, in-game fair. commercial spots. Those that's are fair. too good. <laughs> that's but, fair. Yeah.
1: And tra- and and spots to get guys into the game. I guess. Yeah, like, it, yeah. It's but that's the only one where um, I know free throws play that like really. But I mean, look, that's a good example of the unintended consequences, right? right. Like, okay, we get rid of, we, we lower the amount of free throws. Guys are more tired. Yep. And you, you guys are more tired. Guys, more guys get injured. Nobody wants that.
0: Yep. All right, uh, Nick, uh, you got a question for us? We'll we'll take that one and we'll get out of here.
3: Yeah. Hey guys. Yeah. First, uh, thanks for the great conversation. Uh, uh, and, uh, Seth, uh, love the book. Thank you. Uh, just, this is kind of a vague question, but something I've been having a lot of trouble, particularly at this point in the season and with how much disruption has been going on. Uh, I guess this came up when I was watching like that Nets third quarter against the bulls the other night, where even though it's like small sample size, but I was like, yeah, these guys are kind of in a different universe as these guys. And, I I was just kind of wondering how we should be looking at playoff translation at this point in the season. Uh, Because, like, for a team like the Jazz, like, they might look really amazing, but as you guys have discussed, like, they they can't guard anyone on the perimeter, and I don't really see what they've done to fix that. So I'm, I'm just, like, basically borderline throwing out whatever they're doing in the regular season, but that doesn't feel right either. And I was just wondering if you guys had a general framework for looking at this or if it's, uh, or if like the season is just so weird that it's even murkier than them.
0: I mean, I think I, I, I said this in the book that I think that regular season and playoff basketball have, are divert have diverged and are continuing to diverge by more than ever before. And I, I still think that's true. And you throw like the, the weirdness of this regular season on top of this. And I, you know, I, I, just I, you know, I asked on Twitter the other day, like, what would have to happen in the regular season for the Bulls to be considered the Eastern Conference favorites? Um, Not getting, not giving up a forty-nine to two run or whatever it was against the Nets would probably have been a good start. But like, basically, the answer was nothing. There's nothing they could do, and I think that's right. Like, I agree with that. But it's just, it's, it's, it's weird that that like, even though as as entertaining as a lot of the basketball has been, it's just, it's how predictive we think it is of what happens in may uh i i think we're all sort of thinking not very well
1: i'll say this i think one i've been digging a lot of, a lot into this because you know if you want to get a bulls future it's like now right you get right. you get the number one seed in the east and you're still getting them in a the big number so i haven't bet it for a specific reason that you just mentioned there's still I, I can wait till the playoffs see how they do over the second half of the season see if the defense holds up, make sure they're injury-free, and I'll still get them as big dogs because of what Seth just talked about. So I can wait to put an Eastern Conference future in on the Bulls if I decide that it's worth it. For me, a lot of it is um, you have to be within range of a team talent-wise, and regular season record I do think kind of indicates that. Um, it is rare we get a Warriors-Mavericks 2007 situation where there's right. a huge disparity that results in an upset. But what however, we
0: see is, Go ahead. However – I think that that just because of the roster weirdness of this year, like I think we're we're having to eyeball that a little well, bit more than we can by records or or say, ratings and stuff like that. I'll say this though, you, you, because I
1: think mentioning the weirdness of the season helps the Bulls because almost no team was as wrecked as they were. They were without DeRozan and Levine for a long stretch. And they stayed above water because they got good contributions from guys. Now you could say, like, well, everybody was messed up in that stretch. But the Bulls actually were kind of ahead of it. Like, they were one of the first teams to really get nailed. Um, I think – I'm not saying that I think the Bulls are are legit. I think that what's interesting this year is I think it's open and it's possible. And that's all I've ever really wanted is just, like, I – look, the Nets can, be, can beat the, the Bulls in this one game. The Nets record versus top 10 teams is horrific. And – They've consistently lost over the past two seasons to Milwaukee and the Sixers, and those are two teams that they're probably going to have to deal with come April. Like, I don't look at the Nets as like this unstoppable juggernaut. I think they're a really good team with a lot of talent. They're only a good team because of that talent. Uh, they have no front court defense. I think that they're matchup vulnerable. And, you know, I, I, on, I do the thing for NBA.com slash NBA bet called futures Friday, where I'm doing a future, like a number of futures every week. And I put in one this morning for the Miami heat to win the East. Cause I'm getting them six to one. And I like their matchups with just about everybody, except ironically, I don't like it versus Chicago. So this is the thing is, I think if you're within range of a team talent wise, in terms of quality, it's not always record, but quality it's records, usually a pretty good indicator, um, and you have the matchup advantage, then you can pull the upset. I think that that's kind of the thing is, and a lot of it for me in the playoffs is can you solve the problems that your opponent presents? Yeah, and that's what I think is is so fascinating is, um, the Nets only have one answer. It's okay. Well, you sure you can be a step inside and it's, do this. It's a pretty good
0: answer, but, but yeah, we have
1: <laughs> but we have Kevin Durant, we have Kyrie Irving, and we have James Harden. And by the way,
0: James Harden has for the last month and a half or so has been really pretty good yeah and that's the sort of like the the, the, the weird thing about the Nets to me is how well, I guess it's not weird or it, it, maybe it's not unexpected but outside of Patty Mills how like little they've gotten from their the rest of their squad yeah and, and that's and that's you know but that's
1: the thing is like I don't think they're gonna get more Seth I don't and, know that, anybody was
0: a, I get. that was but that was a big part of why they were like threatening last year is because they were getting like good stuff from Jeff Green and Blake Griffin yeah. and Nick Claxton at times and yeah. and you know and you know getting Joe Harris back if uh, if we get like most of his career Joe Harris instead of like last year against Milwaukee Joe Harris sure like that's a pretty big deal for them too yeah but it's all it's
1: yeah. all on one end though yeah and like that the well, kind of question is like can you especially with what we talked about on the show like can you just go into the playoffs and say nah we don't need to defend. We're gonna well, switch everything. Uh, KD becomes
0: K, playoff played. KD does become an all league defender though. So that's sure. I mean that's that's a, that's a step up there. But yeah, you're right.
1: Yeah, and like look, I think I think that that Bucks game was really interesting for the the switching and how Bobby Portis was like, oh, you're gonna put Harden on me. All
0: oh, right, man. one of the largest L's of my career is uh, is Bobby Portis. Whoop, <laughs> pig, silly, baby. Well, no. so it's funny like for the first couple of years of his career he was uh you know he was one thing and then he became I just I realized that earlier this year because I was like my last year with the Bucks was the year we traded for uh Nikola Miritich at the deadline and I was realizing you know Bobby Porta since he got to the Bucks it's exactly who we thought we were trading for (laughs) when we got Miritich and it's like (laughs) and and you know he's he's a guy we had talked about getting and I, I had I think it, our consensus was we liked Miritich more, and like, oops, always um, took
1: always take the puncher, not the punchy. <laughs> uh, a,
0: yeah. yeah, Um absolutely. Thanks for the question. Um, anything else you want to cover before we get out? Get out of here, Matt.
1: Uh, are the Suns going to win the West? Because I'm starting to wonder if the Suns are going to win the West.
0: Um, I think I think uh, I think you got to. Big DeAndre Ayton question mark there? I think if yeah. they get last year's playoffs through two games of the finals, DeAndre Ayton, yes. If not, or if it turns out that like Chris Paul can make anyone look like a confident center, which he's kind of done with Jalen Smith, and Smith, yeah, Bismack biombo over the last you know couple months, yep. Um, and how if that that doesn't seem like it carries over super well into. Yeah. Like, that kind of, like, Chris Paul making guy competent, I don't think that's actually, like, necessarily playoff viable against better teams. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, if I had to pick someone right now, I would pick them, I guess.
1: But it's right um, now in the midst of the Steph's career where Slump slump. Yeah.
0: Though I, got... though I do think I, – I think that even with Steph's slump, I do think that the Warriors um, – like Clay coming back at, is is probably at a good time just because there's there's a lot of Steph will figure it out to their not I don't think to their design but you just watch the rest of the guys in their team and it's and and it's like okay I have an opportunity here but now let, let me get back get it back to the Steph and Draymond two man game and yeah. like you know I think we I think we saw a team that like maybe not a team that is not even a, a world beater like last year's Grizzlies. Like they could deal with that, right? You know. So, um, I think the Warriors. Like, I don't think they'll do it, but I think they're a move away from being. I think the, um, like, if they if they traded like you know one or more of their young guys for Miles Turner or Jeremy Grant or or something like that, I think that they become the the strong favorites to win it all. I just don't think they're actually going to do that. Makes sense yeah um who do you think is winning the east uh Milwaukee okay I feel okay.
1: very confident in Milwaukee
0: uh who do you think is winning the east if Brooke Lopez is just done <sighs> yeah Miami okay um i th- I think Brooklyn but I don't feel great about it I
1: tell you man I just uh... You go back to to even that that Buck series last year. Go back and look at how important Blake Griffin, Blake, Gr- this this version of Blake Griffin, was to their run, and you start to go like, oh,
0: oh no. Was, was Blake Griffin more or less important to that series than Harden and Kyrie not being there? Uh <laughs> you know. So I mean, we could play this game all day, but
1: yeah. I, I get it. I yeah. I just.
0: Again, I've
1: every every dive I've done on that series, and it may be confirmation bias, I'm, I'm open to that, but every dive I've done on that series kind of suggests that the Bucks' offense underperformed to such a wild degree versus a bad defense that the last four games and the Bucks had a 112 offensive rating is more indicative. Like, I, I think, and this is the contrarian in me for sure, I do think that the Occam's razor does not apply here. That I don't look at it and just go, like, well, Kyrie and Harden were out. And I'm like, hmm, a lot of weird stuff went on in that series that I'm not sure is going to repeat this time. I think the Nets had a chance, and they got – I think they would have won if they if Harden and Kyrie were healthy, but I don't know that they're going to get the things that went in their favor this time either.
0: Okay, we got one more question, and we'll do this one quick uh, for no other reason. I have to go pick my daughter up at school soon. So, uh, James, <laughs> uh, uh, give, give us a good quick
2: one. Hey, how you guys doing? Um, If you – you said – Matt, you said Miami championship? Yep. yep. If you think that Miami's going to win – do you think the Warriors are going to be playing them in the championship?
1: Um, I would say I can't answer that one because I legitimately think that Warriors-Suns is a coin flip. I look at everything from a betting perspective. So for me, it's like if the Warriors are dogs, I'm betting the Warriors. If the Suns are dogs, I'm betting the Suns. Yeah. That's how close I th- think those two teams are.
2: All right. Thank you guys uh, for that one. Uh, have a great rest of your day. Thanks, Jim. And uh,
0: th- uh, thank you, Matt. Uh, this, is, this was fun. As, as usual, we uh, make a plan of what we're going to talk about and, and uh, stick to it only in the barest of details. So, <laughs> thanks for having me, man. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Thanks, everyone, for, for joining me. I am back on Sunday with, uh, with uh, the great Caitlin Cooper uh, to talk uh, uh, Pacers and single-team deep dives. So thanks a lot, and talk to you then.